Let me pray, and we'll jump into verse 18. God, thank you for the book of Joel. Thank you that it so clearly um, calls us to repent, to be warned of the coming day of judgment that is coming on all mankind from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Um, it is so clear in that, and that is a grace in and of itself that you did not have to warn us, but you give us plenty of warning, and you provide the way of escape in and through your Son. Lord, thank you for this book. I pray that as we wrap it up and conclude, that it would be done to your glory. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week, for those, those of you guys who weren't here, we jumped into chapter 3, which is, was our final point, dealing with national restoration of Israel, verses 1 to 16. Very clearly, um, the, in the context of the last days, the day of the Lord will come, and that's going to be a day of judgment on all the nations. Israel is included in that, those who do not turn to the Lord, those who are not a part of the righteous remnant, those who don't trust in Him uh, can expect judgment. Obviously, all the nations, right? And he kind of zeroes in on a couple there in that section, verses 4 to 8. He kind of zooms in on who was probably, when Joel was writing, two of the major nations uh, afflicting them or oppressing them, you could say, just the constant enemies, right? The Phoenicians, their cities Tyre and Sidon, and then uh, Philistia, all those Philistine cities, you know, very familiar with the Philistines. Uh, judgment is coming on them. He jumps down to verse 9, hey, proclaim this among the nations, judgment is coming. You know, you have that, I find it kind of hilarious, you know, let the weak say, I am strong, and it's just, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to sing that part of this, that's, yeah. If you missed it, listen last week. <laughs> um, then he moves on, Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. This is the day of God's verdict. The day of the Lord is near. It has finally come. It is upon these people. The sun and the moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. The very next thing is final judgment. But verse 16, the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Those who turn to the Lord uh, will not face that judgment. Verse 17, Jerusalem's going to be holy. There's never going to be... Um, non-Israelite, pagan, Gentile nations afflicting Israel ever again. And that's where we left off. This kind of this final section here, verses 18 through 21. He says, and in that day, it's kind of another clear textual marker. If you guys remember um, Joel 2.28, right, shall come to pass afterwards. Um, Joel 3, verse 1, behold, in those days and at that time, and you kindly finally come to the end here, and in that day, um, I, it's actually better. I don't know why the ESV leaves out. There's actually a future tense verb there, and it will be just the, the simple to be verb. It's one of the most common verbs um, in Hebrew and also um, ami, the Greek form in the New Testament. There's, there's very clearly just saying, and it will be in that day. It's going to come to pass when this happens. So he's tying it into that same context, context of those other two passages, 228 and 3.1, in these last days, when all of these things um, you know, come upon Israel. Judgment is going to come against those who are against God, who stand opposed to him. And in those last days, salvation and blessing is going to come to those who repent, who turn to the Lord in that day. And you guys remember, you know, there's a few passages. I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, but Isaiah 2 talks about in the last days, in the latter days, you know, the mountain of the house of the Lord is going to be lifted up. All the nations are going to flow to it. Same context. Um, Deuteronomy 4.30, we talked about 
you know, when the tribulation comes upon Israel in the last days. One I forgot to mention, and it was on that handout if you guys got it, was Deuteronomy 31. And again, this is significant because those are the two chapters. It's real close to those two chapters we've been in a lot, right? Deuteronomy 28 and 30. Well, just a chapter later, um, in Deuteronomy 31, verse 29, this is Moses speaking. He says, For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, again, I, I, I'm sure there was some good reason for the ESV, to, the ESV committee to translate it that way, but it's literally the same in the last days. It's the same in the latter days phrase that you see. If, if you didn't get that handout, I can get it to you, but it's every single occurrence in the Old Testament where it's just the phrase in the last days. Um, and it's that same phrase there in Deuteronomy 31:29. And in the last days, evil will befall you. Judgment is going to come upon those who do not turn to the Lord, right? Because you will do what is evil in his sight, in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. So very clearly, I think Joel is picking up on much prior Old Testament revelation of these things that are going to come in the last days. And he's alluding to that there in the first four words there, 318. And in that day, he goes on to say, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk. In Joel 1.10, you see that same word for sweet wine, um, that it was gone because the locusts had devoured it. They devoured all the fruit, so there's no wine. The sweet wine dries up. Um, it's going to be replenished. The hills shall flow with milk. Now, obviously, this is figurative language here, right, in these two verses. And you're like, what? Like, what do you mean? Well, just think about it. Like, mountains don't actually drip wine, right? Like, and like you can't, <laughs> you can't milk a hill, right? Like, it's not, I mean, I don't know, maybe you could try, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what that looks like. But what's he saying? Like, there's going to be this glorious prosperity, so much so that there's just, the trees are just going to, you know, or the, the um, you know, grapes, what they use to make wine, there's going to be so much of it, it's like the hills are dripping with it, right? And there's just going to be you know, milk in particular, I don't know what animal you got, you know, cows, uh, goats, all that stuff. You know, we mentioned cows, I think, in, um, yeah, in chapter one. Um, the herds of cattle are perplexed, uh, the sheep, right, the beasts of the field. So clearly there's a callback there. But he's just saying that there's going to be a glorious prosperity, and there's just going to be an abundance of wine and abundance of milk. Does that make sense? But, like, you can't literally milk a hill, okay? But he's just saying... This is what's going on. He's explaining in the next line what that's going to look like. And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. So there's just going to be an abundance of all these natural goods that have been gone because of the locust plague, right? There was no water because there's locusts, and also contextually there's a drought going on. And so there's going to be a reversal of that in these last days. He goes on, And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim, you got to be careful saying that word. Careful. Watch out. Um, a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. What's the house of the Lord? Oh, yeah, I mean, in particular, what, like what building? The temple, right? That's what he's talking about. A fountain, a river, shall come forth from the house of the Lord. That's the temple in Jerusalem. In, in, uh, in water, the valley of Shittim. That's north of the Dead Sea. Um, so just north of, so if you're looking at a map, 
I don't have a map, but you know, if you're looking at Jerusalem, the Dead Sea is like just to the east of it, okay? Just to the east, so it'd be the other way. This is Jerusalem, it's just to the east of it. Um, and what's significant about the Dead Sea? It's, it's, it's dead, yeah, it's, go figure, right? Like, you can float in it because there's so much salt. Like, nothing lives there, right? Um, it's not exactly a great summer destination. You don't want to go there and swim. Although people do swim in it. You can float in it. Um, I think people do that. Um, but anyways, the other thing that's, that's going on here, and this is significant, what he's talking about here, when he talks about a river flowing from the house of the Lord, flowing from the temple, and watering the valley of Shittim, which is just to the north of the, um, the Dead Sea, there are a couple of other passages in the Old Testament that actually talk about this. Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah 14.8. I actually, you can't, actually, yeah, turn there. Turn to Ezekiel 47. This should just be back a couple pages. Does anyone know what's going on contextually in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48? There's new temple, yeah. So Ezekiel is a very interesting book. I'll just, that's to put it mildly. Ezekiel says a lot of stuff. He sees a lot of things and they're out there. If, you thought, if there are some interesting things in Joel, you should go read Ezekiel, okay? But in Ezekiel 40 to 48, Ezekiel sees this massive, restored, glorious temple of Israel. And in context, Joel's in exile, or excuse me, not Joel, been in Joel too much. Ezekiel's in exile, okay? He's, he's not actually in Israel, and Israel's just been taken over by the Babylonians. Like, it's, it's not going too well. And so he sees this glorious temple. In chapter 47, um, I'm just going to start in verse 1 and probably jump around a little bit. In chapter 47, verse 1, in part of this vision that he's seen, it says, then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east. Now, remember before when I just talked about Jerusalem, what's to the east of Jerusalem? The Dead Sea, okay? It's flowing towards the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the tr- threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out of the way of the north gate, led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the water's trickling out on the south side. So you've got water going down. He starts measuring it. Um, there's this measuring man. Um, jump down to verse 7. It says, As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. Um, yeah, I'll just keep reading verse 8. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah, and enters the sea, this eastern body of water. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Or you could translate it healed. That the, that the water is going to be restored. Well, he never says it particularly, what body of water he's talking about, but when he's talking about redeeming this water, making it fresh, healing it, what do you think he's talking about? Dead Sea. I think that's the contextual clue. I think that's what's going on. And wherever the river goes, this is verse 9, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Jump down to verse 12. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. 
And so I think Ezekiel is picking up on Joel's illusion or Joel's mention of this fountain, this river flowing out from the temple um, and watering this region north of the Dead Sea, bringing life to it. And Ezekiel's just picking up on that. Zechariah also mentions this uh, briefly. Zechariah 14, verse 8. And this is, again, Zechariah 14 is this coming day of the Lord, coming day of judgment, but also salvation for his people. And he says in Zechariah 14, verse 8, On that day, similar language to Joel, right? And in that day, Zechariah 14, verse 8, And on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, Half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Verse 9, the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So you just have this, I think Zechariah, Ezekiel, and Joel are talking about the same thing. Okay? They're talking about this glorious day coming where the Lord is going to reign from his throne, from the mountain, as Isaiah 2 talks about. And there's going to be not only... Um, Spiritual restoration, of course, right? Isaiah talks about all the peoples coming to him, that there's going to be this glorious future for all nations. But also, people are going to flow to him, but there's going to be a um, natural restoration as well, that there's going to be a restoration of the world and that the Dead Sea is actually going to have life in it. Does that make sense? I think that's what Joel is talking about. Back to Joel, verse 19. He says, Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness. Remember, this is in that context earlier in chapter 3, verse 4. He talks about, you know, the day of the Lord's coming on uh, Phoenicia. It's coming on Philistia, all these pagan nations. Well, now he's zeroing in on two other ones, right? Egypt has been a, a thorn in um, Israel's side throughout history, right? You can go back to the Exodus, right? Egypt has been a big bad dude that has been afflicting them. They're going to become a desolation, completely desolate. And Edom, does anyone know Edom? Like, who's, who's Edom's father? Esau, yeah, right? Jacob and Esau, right? So Edom, again, another perpetual thorn in, in Israel's side. Um, the whole book of Obadiah, which you're like, oh, a whole book. Well, Obadiah is like really short. But all of Obadiah, that whole oracle is concerning Edom. It's all about Edom um, and the judgment that is coming upon them. Mm -hmm. Edom would, would be a region that they certainly have, but it's also like, so it's kind of like, so it, it'd be kind of like Judah, okay? So like Judah was a person historically, right? There was one person, right? One of the sons, okay? But also Judah becomes identified as what, the southern kingdom, two tribes, and those two tribes also were in a particular place. Does that make sense? So contextually, you always want to ask the question of like, okay, which one are we talking about here? Is it like the single person, the nation as a whole, or the region? Does that make sense? And what I would argue is in, you know, a usage like this, especially with the previous usage, right, Egypt, what's he referring to? Just the nation as a whole, right? The people group as a whole. And so Edom both the people group and where they reside, right, is going to become a desolate wilderness. So judgment is coming for them as a whole. Good question. Yeah. 
Ja. 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 Oh, so Obadiah. Remember, it's Obad-Edom. You're going to die. Another, another way you could is uh, Obadiah. I learned this at, at, uh, in college. Is Ob- Obadiah is about a, a bitter battle between brothers. Because, right, Jacob and Esau, right? And so it's, and, and, and contextually, this actually leads into the next verse here. What does he say? For the, why are they being condemned, Egypt and Edom? For the violence done to the people of Judah because they've shed innocent blood in their land. We're not sure exactly what event uh, Joel is talking about here or in Obadiah. It's, it's difficult to n- nail down exactly. But Edom is very clearly condemned for some type of violence that they've done to Judah. Um, it's probably either in Second Chronicles 21 or Second Kings 23, um, if you want to do more, more research on that. Um, but Edom was... Egypt and Edom were continually um, afflicting and attacking Israel. And so what he's saying here is that judgment is coming upon you. And this is kind of, it goes back to the eye for eye, tooth for tooth that he already mentioned earlier in chapter 3. I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. What you've done to them is going to return on your own head. Judgment is coming. And so, yeah. And and this kind of makes sense, too. You'll see this... glad I, I almost forgot to mention this. You'll see this a lot, especially in like the major prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. You'll kind of get these, you know, just chapters where it'll start like an oracle concerning Egypt or like um, concerning Moab, especially at the end of Jeremiah. Um, Isaiah 13 to 27, you'll see a lot of these. Um, End of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, he kind of has them throughout. Um, he'll, you know, he'll talk about, you know, an oracle concerning, you know, Tyre or something like that. And pretty much what he does is, you know, here it's mentioned, Egypt, you're going to be judged because of the violence you've done. Well, what those major prophets do is they say, Egypt, here's who you are. The judgment or uh, judgment is coming for you because the violence you've done. And they expand on it. Does that make sense? So like if Joel, sometimes the minor prophets are only spending like one verse saying, Egypt, you're going to be judged because of this. Oftentimes in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, they're saying, Egypt, you're going to be judged because of all of this. And you'll see like a couple chapters on it. Does that make sense? So that'll help you kind of understand. Sometimes you'll, you'll come across those um, in the major prophets, and that's what's going on. Verse 20, but in contrast to that, in contrast of this judgment that is coming, but Judah, God's people, um, shall be inhabited forever. Again, talking about this, this region in Jerusalem to all generations. So you see the people and the land coming uh, together. Um, the land is going to be inhabited forever with the certain people, right, to all generations. There's this glorious future, glorious restoration, this righteous remnant, those who all turn to the Lord. Verse 21. The, the book ends on a very clear note of judgment, okay? Like, it's like, whoa, this is, this is heavy stuff, right? I will avenge their blood, Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So there's going to be some type of, it's actually a difficult verse to translate. So if you have NASB or something like that, it might word it a little bit differently. But there, it's very clearly saying justice will be done. Okay? That's, that's the, we can conclude at the very least the gist of what's going on in that verse. I will avenge their blood, referring to Judah, Right? The violence done to the people of Judah, verse 19. They've shed innocent blood. Who? Egypt and Edom. 
right? God is going to avenge the blood of his people, blood that he has not yet avenged. Why? For the Lord dwells in Zion. The reason for this judgment, why is all this going to happen, is because this is when the Lord will finally return and dwell among his people. This is the day of the Lord where final judgment is finally coming. And that's the book of Joel. That's, that's pretty much it, right? So we spent a couple of weeks doing some introduction and pretty much, what, seven weeks actually walking through the book. Um, and so I wanted to move... Would you guys want to do, like, recap now and questions later, or questions and then recap? Does anyone have questions, anything about the book of Joel? Not saying I'll answer it, but we can maybe communally answer it. Let's do, let's do recap, and then if there's questions, we can, we can do that at the end. Um, I wanted to put this back up. This was from, um, oh, I have to click all these through. This was from week one? Yes. Yeah, week one. Why well, study Joel? And just kind of four reasons that I came up with. And I actually wanted to hear from you guys. Is like, so what? Where, where do we go from here? Okay. It's like, okay, I've spent nine weeks thinking about Joel, nine weeks thinking about prophecy and the Old Testament. What do I do with this? Okay. Like, what am I practically going to take away from this book? I mean, you, you don't want to go like, oh, that was neat. Okay. Like, that's it. Right? So what do you do? I mean, I'm trying to make it very broad. Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, no, that was one point I actually wrote down to bring up is, um, I just start, Joel, it's a powerful apologetic on the cohesive nature of Scripture. Yeah, you're right. It's like you come to a book like that, and, I, and I'll just say this. I haven't studied all the minor prophets um, to, the, to the extent that I've studied Joel, but I guarantee you if we do that work, it's going to be the exact same thing, right? It's, it's always the principle of if you find something it, that, that seems weird in Scripture. It's like, I don't know what's going on here. The problem is probably with you, not with the Bible, right? It's like, it's just we need to do more homework, more study. And yeah, you're exactly right. I, I think that's really powerful when you step back and you go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Moses said this in Deuteronomy. 
Okay, that was very clear. Joel picks this up. That sounds very similar to that. Whoa, Peter is quoting Joel. Oh, wait, that actually makes sense because he's talking about the latter days. And if Peter's picking that up, oh, yeah, like the light bulbs start to come on. Yeah, and that's where you start to see, you're exactly right, the inerrancy and the inspiration of Scripture. Because it's like, oh, this is a cohesive whole. And that's actually one of the tensions, I think, um, you know, with we don't want to bifurcate the Testaments too much, right? We don't want to say, you know, Old Testament, you know, is over here and, you know, New Testament over here. Is that There's actually a lot of continuity and interplay between the two. And we use both to interpret both. That, that's another thing that I think Joel helps us with is we don't, come to, we don't come to Joel and go, this is confusing. I'm going to read the New Testament to figure out what Joel was saying. It's actually, no, we need to understand Joel on its own terms. What did Joel mean in his current context when he's preaching this message to Israelites? Because if we understand that, it's actually going to help us understand how the New Testament is picking it up. Oh, that actually makes sense. It's not contradicting. Yeah. Good. Really good. Colleen, were you saying something? strengthens it. Yeah. Yeah. Give us the practical. Yeah. Mm. I actually think, just to hone in on that, I actually think that's one of the main things we all should take away from Joel is that first point, because Joel displays the practical or applicable nature of prophecy or eschatology, and, that, and that's related to point number two, it's the most extensive treatment of the day of the Lord. I mean, this is kind of whole thing review, but chapter one, what's he talking about? Locust plague, right? Locust plague has devoured, and things are really, really bad in the country. It's really, really bad. But he uses that as a launching pad to say, you need to be warned of the day of the final day of judgment where you will stand before the Lord your maker, okay? And I think you can just take that, um, you know, and I mean almost illustrate it with any event that's going on in any person's life or, or national, right? I mean, you can just think of um, something like 9-11. Lamar mentioned Lamar 11 a few weeks ago. I remember that, okay? I mean, 9-11, events like that, events where maybe you're... Um, you know, a family member passes away or something like that. Those are all things that the Lord is using to say, hey, wake up, right? They're all precursors of the coming day of the Lord. Um, now, it's a little different because we're not in, you know, the Mosaic Covenant where locusts are going to come and destroy us, but it's still that same thing where the Lord is using these things as wake-up calls for the day of judgment. And so that's one of the main things to take away from Joel is to not go, I don't know what's going on. Um, you know, I, I have my eschatology squared away, but it doesn't change how you live. You know, it radically changes how you should live day in and day out. 
Oh, I've seen that. It's because I'm moving too much. I just won't move. I just won't turn my head. Okay. Anyone else? That's